0: To the guidepost, we have pretty exciting guests today. My partner in crime, Willie, is with us. And How's it Willie, going, Tony? I, you know, Willie, it's going, man. It's it's summertime. You know, I hate the cold. The hotter it gets, the more comfortable I am, so yay. Um, I know with you,
1: the flip-flops come out in February, but now it's finally seasonally appropriate, so that's a good oh,
0: thing. Oh, I, I have the flip-flop tan. My, my wife noted the other day that I have the little band on my foot that is, uh, that is definitely my time clock for summer has begun. Um, so, hooray, flip-flop tan in the house. Willie, why don't you introduce the listeners to our super awesome, super special guest for today? Will do. Uh, so if
1: you have been working in marine conservation in D.C. at all in the past 25 years or so, uh, odds are you know the name Gene Flemma And we are thrilled to have Gene with us today. Gene is the director of the Ocean Defense Initiative and has done a huge amount of marine conservation and policy work um, over the past several decades and just as a huge wealth of knowledge. And most importantly to us, uh, was one of the initial architects of the um, enabling legislation for the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission. And of course, if you follow uh, ASGA's work, you know that we do a lot of work with the commission and in particular with Stripe Bass. So, Jean, welcome to the guidepost.
2: Thank you. Thanks very much. And um, I'm a little embarrassed by that introduction. I hope I can live up to the hype because that's... Uh, Little over the top, but I appreciate it. Um, speaking of summer, I live in Portland, Oregon, and it's only June, and it's going to be 108 degrees on Saturday, 109 degrees on Sunday, and a refreshing 102 degrees on Monday. Portland, what y'all,
0: Oregon. Do man, that 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 not, sounds like God's punishing you.
2: Not Phoenix, <laughs> Arizona. On, not Phoenix. <laughs> portland and it's june so uh i just want to start off by saying anyone that doesn't believe in climate change maybe you should come to portland this weekend do y'all
0: <laughs> do y'all even have air conditioning there what the oh, heck are you I, do
2: i did not look at a house to buy that did not have air conditioning
0: well, so that's yeah, my house has move.
2: central air.
0: Gene's <laughs> Gene's gonna have like forty people outside of her house trying to get in. See your AC pumping this weekend. Yeah, it sounds like
1: a hot tip is uh, yeah. If you're an HVAC technician, uh, Portland or the Pacific Northwest might be a good spot to set up shop <laughs> in the next in the next
0: couple of years. Yeah, we have a we have a we have a, a job job opportunities booming in Portland for HVAC techs. Um, so, Gene, you know. Obviously, a, a huge part of our audience is concerned fishermen. And Willie, you know, Willie kind of gave a broad overview of your experience. And, you know, to dig in a little bit deeper, uh, could you tell us what ACFACMA is, you know, what role you played with it? And then also, what what were the intentions? Like, what was the soul of what you were doing? with ACFACMA and what it did to the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission.
2: Sure. And I think um Willie gave me more credit than I'm due uh when he said I was the architect of the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission. I definitely was not the commission uh like we're we're fishermen Gene. It's what we do. That's what we do. (laughs) Well I appreciate it. And I also uh last week was fishing and caught a three foot king salmon. So I'm good, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, uh, the Pacific States and the Gulf States commissions were all established by congressional charter. I'm, I think it was in the forties or fifties. I don't remember the exact dates, but, um, so I've been around for a long time, but not quite that long. So, um, I did not, uh, have, uh, direct involvement in the establishment of the commissions but as your listeners know the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission uh, manages all the interstate fisheries along the Atlantic coast and um, particularly the fisheries that cross between jurisdictions and most of the I mean I think what is their their I think they have 25 fisheries under their jurisdiction Um, that number uh, I think is around 25 and In So I, my job, when I worked on Capitol Hill, where I worked for 20 plus years, I worked for um, a series of different congressional committees that had jurisdiction over fisheries management issues in the United States. So we also had jurisdiction over the Magnuson Act, which many of your listeners are probably familiar with, which manages fisheries in federal waters or sets out the guidelines for managing fisheries in federal waters. But in state waters, we had the, the commission and um, our committee had jurisdiction over what the commission did. And um, in the my boss at the time was the chairman of the committee and he was from Massachusetts. So Massachusetts being one of the states that is a member of, of the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, um, at that time, a lot of the states, a lot of stakeholders, um, a lot of recreational fishermen, commercial fishermen, other Uh, conservation interests all had gotten together because there was concerns that um, when the Commission would adopt a plan for management that some states were not complying with the plan and there was no mechanism for enforcing compliance and so they came to us and they said collectively, they really worked together to design what would an enforcement or an enforcement mechanism look like that became the basis of ECFACMA. And so they came to us and said, we, we support, many of the states supported and eventually the entire commission supported the language that became ACFACMA. And the goal was And Gene, just to ahead. interrupt you real quick, yeah. I know
1: we're we're all marine policy wonk, alphabet sure. super aficionados. Um can you tell us what ACFMA stands for?
2: Sure. Well you started it, man. You said it first. Atlantic Coastal Fisheries Cooperative Management Act.
1: Say it wasn't my fault,
0: but
2: yeah. thank
0: you. <laughs> keep keep Let's him in line Gene. keep Alaska. him in line i, I, I it's it's a, it's my full-time job to reign this character <laughs> in jean i appreciate your support so FACMA, right atlantic so,
2: coastal fisheries cooperative management act yep
0: holy holy alphabet soup batman but mm-hmm. for our listeners that is what gave asmfc the authority to manage all these fish because if you look at the gulf count you look at the gulf commission today they still don't have any authority to manage fish right so yeah
2: well so the commission was already writing management plans at the time but the challenge was they didn't as i mentioned didn't have an enforcement mechanism to ensure that states would adopt the requirements or the either the quotas or the different types of management restrictions that were laid out in the plans. And so a lot of the plans weren't working. And of course, prior to ActFACMA, we had in the 80s, the Striped Bass Act. And that was adopted in the 1980s because striped bass stocks had plummeted. And, um, so Congress basically adopted a law that said um, if a state in the Atlantic Coastal, in the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, if a state wasn't complying with the striped Bass Plan that the commission had adopted, um, the federal government could shut down the state's fishery. And that led to, all, to the coastal states all coming into compliance with the management plan um, I think a couple of times state's fisheries had to be shut down when they weren't in compliance, but ultimately it led to um, the management plan being implemented and enforced and the, stri- the striped bass stocks rebounding. Um, of course, we'll talk later about what's going on now with strike bass, but at the time that was a big success story, and a lot of people still point to the strike bass as a big success story for the, the Atlanta State's Marine Fisheries Commission. Um, and some are not aware of what's actually happening now. But again, we'll talk about that later. So well, we had that model of the Striped Bass Act.
0: Yeah, so Gene, the funny thing is I can remember probably four years ago, three or four years ago when the Modern Fish Act was in play. And uh, I, was, I had to give testimony at the Commerce Committee. And the three gentlemen that I was given testimony against all said that we should manage everything like stripe bass. And I looked at him and I said, <laughs> that stock assessment's coming out in about six months, and I'm so glad they have this on video because you guys are going to look like the fools that I know you are. So that was fun. That was one of those enjoyable moments where people who don't fish talk about fishing. and uh, And you just kind of smile, and you're like, man, video lives forever, baby. I'm just gonna keep reminding you of that stuff. Um, so, so, so does audio. So,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: so does audio. So um
2: so that's okay, so they be- hate
0: me. They they still write like nasty op-eds about me, Gene. I don't you know, I didn't get into this to make friends. I'm not messing with you though. And I I'll I'll tell all the listeners I just want to stop for one second and let you digest all of this incredible information. So, you know we have at the guides association we have this incredible person that works with us uh, her name is sue and sue literally is our moral compass our business advisor um uh, our our cheerleading squad and everything else she's our high school like the, principal our high school principal for sure i mean and and i think after like two years of doing this the one rule that we all have the, the most basic rule of the Guides Association is don't don't mess with Sue. Um, she, we're we're grateful to have her, and without without she's one of those people that like. If you don't understand how the Guides Association works, we would not be who we are without we. I don't even think we'd probably exist without Sue. Uh, she's just she's a force of nature, and it's it's kind of like for me, you know I I look at Gene as a, as another Sue. Um, where I'm not messing with Gene. Um, you know, I've had to, I've been fortunate to kind of get to know her over the last couple of months, and I will tell the listeners right now and I will shut up that I, uh, the Sue factor is engaged and I might tease other guests. I ain't teasing Gene, man. Um, this, this person, <laughs> I, can knows it, her stuff. I can handle no, it, Tony. I can handle it. No, it's worry. not, it's not even that. I just don't want to tempt fate. I feel like, I feel like you kind of like me at this juncture, and I, you know, like I, like I mentioned before, I got a long list of people. There's a line that forms around the building for people who don't like me. So if I got if I got somebody fierce and knowledgeable on my side, I'm just gonna shut up, uh, and let let that. Ro- I just thank thank God that you know. Sun shines on a dog's ass every once in a while. So um, so as
1: usual, and the three of us have talked enough that this is kind of the, the theme that we always kind of come back to is you know, we we start talking about something and then Gene says something and then Tony says something and then Gene says something and then Tony says something, and we're over talking about, you know, <laughs> God knows what. So just to <laughs> To, reorient to come ourselves. back to the top, to topic. come back around, yeah. as you know, you can call me a nerd, call me what you want. I'm, I'm yeah. used to it by now. So you were talking about, you know, the striped bass, the stripe bass legislation from the '80s, and really how that, you know, was effective in bringing striped bass back and really that was established. A model, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So
2: that was a model, and I just just want to say quickly, I'm sorry, Willie, but I probably have a long as a line as long as Tony's of people who don't care for me and that's just i think the nature of the game or the nature of the business when you are uh working and doing the issues that we work on that's just how it goes but uh you know we care about the fish and making sure there's enough fish for everyone to catch now and long into the future so i guess we'll just take that burden along with it you know let me get back Let's,
0: let's get back. I want to say one thing. Look at Willie. Y'all should see Willie right now because we can all see each other with video. I am gonna make Willie bald, and it's not from it's not from stress. It's from him pulling his hair back on his head. So we got into you know there was a little bit of social media hubbub about our last podcast, and we had Andy Danilchuk on, and he had done some fascinating research about how technology is impacting recreational fishing right and there were there were some people you know obviously there were people who agree like oh my god these sonars social media cell phones everything it's changing changing fishing for the worse um and you know there's always there's always folks who are kind of like oh well what can we do about it right what 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 the heck can what what can we do to change it like what difference can i make and you know I, I, I had a friend of mine send this to me after a particularly bad day. And this is, this is a quote from Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, who I love. I, I, I mean, anyone who gets shot in the chest during a presidential speak speech tackles the would be assassin and finishes the speech before he, he allows him to take him to the hospital. You're my guy. So this is a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, and it's called The Man in the Arena. And this is what Gene is saying. And it's why, you know, you get to a certain point, and and you don't really care who hates you because you're standing up for something. And Teddy Roosevelt says, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the marina, uh, arena, arena, his, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, and who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, and who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say. And I think that's why we do what we do. Because, you know, in this world, you got to friggin' stand for something. And if you want to stand back and want to be one of those timid souls, get the F out of the way. So and I think that's I, why I like Jean.
2: So I think one of the things that I remind myself uh, is um, I... I need to work on the things that I care about because otherwise why get up every day? I I I work on the things that I care about and I am very, very committed to them and passionate about them. And sometimes that can annoy people and I guess that's not my goal. I don't you know, that's not what I'm trying to do, but we all we all are committed to the things that we care about. So, anyway, I want to get back to Atlanta Land States Marine Fisheries Commission and this fabulous Acfacma. The best acronym ever. I will just say as a side note when you work Bulls right
1: on, off the tongue, I know.
2: When you work in Congress, one of the things that you try to do when you're making when you're writing a new law is you try to come up with a name that will give you a really good acronym. So, uh, one time I was working on a new bill to establish um a trust fund that would support marine conservation. And we came up with a name, Ocean Conservation, Ocean Conservation Resources Act or something like that. No, Ocean Resources Conservation Act. Orca. So you, we we do our best to come up with names, but in this case I guess there was really no good name or no good acronym. And that's how we ended up with ACFACMA. So Sad, but true. Anyway, we had the model of the Striped Bass Act from the 80s, and I was not, I didn't work in Congress in the 80s, So, um, but that was uh, led by a senator from Rhode Island, Senator Chafee, who uh, cared greatly about striped bass and about um, preserving sustainable fisheries. And so he had been a leader on the Striped Bass Act in the 80s, and um, in the 90s, as I mentioned, my boss was from Massachusetts, and we had, been approached by the the gentleman who was the head of the Marine Fisheries Division for the state of Massachusetts at the time. Uh, like I said, many other stakeholders were very, very involved in this. Um, it was really a collaborative effort. I don't think there would have been as much success in passing this law if we hadn't had such a broad collaborative group of stakeholders that were involved in it. and. The fact that the states and the commission itself ultimately supported the effort so just as like an example of what was happening at the time uh, weak fish stocks were down by about 85 percent summer flounder landings were down by about 70 percent and management plans for those species were just not being adopted by some of the states that were involved And 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 to remind
1: folks, Jean, this was in like the early 90s. Is that right?
2: Correct. And so um, in our state, the state of Massachusetts, we had fishermen who fished on Martha's Vineyard. And they used to be able to catch 10, 12-pound weak fish. And they couldn't catch them anymore. And in fact, they couldn't even necessarily catch a weak fish because the stocks had declined so precipitously. And commercial fishermen were also seeing their stocks, their catches of Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission species decline as well. And so that's when uh, we introduced the legislation, as I said, with with the input of many, many stakeholders to develop this cooperative plan, this cooperative effort where states and the federal government would work together to make sure that fisheries management plans Uh, developed by the commission were actually adopted. And um, in in a sense, it gave the states the knowledge that if they did the right thing, other states would be required to do the right thing as well. And um, so that uh, got, I believe we Finally became law in 1994. I would have to go back and remind myself of the exact date, but I think, we, I think the legislation became law in 1994 um, and we've been working under ACFACMA ever since.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for the, uh, for the download and kind of the explanation of how it all went down. And I'm, I'm wondering too, Gene, if you can explain, and Tony alluded to it earlier, you know, obviously we were focusing on the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission. Um, can you explain to us kind of how, what goes on on the Atlantic coast differs? Cause of course there's a Gulf commission, there's a Pacific Marine Pacific States Marine Fisheries Commission, kind of like what's the difference there and why was there such a focus on what was going on in the Atlantic?
2: So obviously, um, we have I think more stocks that the Commission manages. or Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission has more species that it manages collaboratively, I believe. Um, and in addition, the the coastline and the and the length of the coastline obviously was quite significant. Though certainly on the west coast, we have a very um, significant coastline as well. But I think the Big difference was um, the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission and the states that were involved in it came to us, and they indicated that they they were they wanted this legislation, they wanted this this tool and this management structure in collaboration with the federal government and uh, the Pacific states and the Gulf states commissions had no were not interested in it and they weren't really experiencing the same management challenges that the atlantic states was experiencing at the time um but i really haven't i haven't talked to folks in the pacific states commission or the gulf in a long time so i don't know if there's anything in particular now that they think about with respect to this this kind of structure but um at the time they. They didn't have a need for it, and they didn't really have a strong interest in it. But um, I don't know if you, if you either of you, wants to add anything on that based on your experience.
0: Well, you know, Gene, I know the Gulf Council right now. There's a substantial reduction fishery for menhaden uh-huh. in Louisiana state waters, and um, you know, it's it's kind of creating a management conundrum because. You know, there's while while the reduction fishery in the Chesapeake Bay is, you know, substantial. The one in the Gulf of Mexico is twice as large, and they have no, really, no functional way of managing them. You know, the way ASMFC manages them, they have no authority. So, um, you know, it's it, it, I, I'm not as familiar with the Pacific Commission. Um, but I guess from what, from, from the download that you just gave us and the history of ACFACMA, so your intention in, in helping to orchestrate this legislation was to make sure that if there was a fisheries management plan, that all the states would follow it.
2: Right. Right. That's right,
0: and and to give that comfort, where when the states, when some states wanted to do the right thing, they knew that other states had to follow. Is that is that correct? That That's was the exactly, original
2: intention. That was exactly the situation. So Massachusetts, where my boss was from, was very. Um, what's the right word I would use? Committed or very, um, uh, good about adopting. The Conservation plans. minded. And they were they would adopt the plans, they would adopt the requirements. And so the fishermen in Massachusetts were playing by the rules. They felt like they were playing by the rules and not necessarily every other state was adopting the requirements can I, or was it. Can I take a guess?
0: Can I go into the Wayback <laughs> Machine and take a guess on something? I'm just gonna take ai am gonna I'm gonna throw a dart at the wall and put a blindfold on. Pin the tail on the jackass, I mean donkey. You ready? I'm going to say so. Maryland and New Jersey were not following the rules.
2: I'm going to say those
0: were the two problem children. I'm just going to guess. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to just I'm just going to guess. Geography isn't always my thing. Yeah, I live on an island, so I don't get lost very very much. But you know, I'm going to guess that New Jersey and maryland were the problem children and you had like the northeastern states you know stereotypically speaking that were like stop killing all of our fish they have fins they swim up this way too please stop your wanton destruction of the fisheries let's let's get this FACMA thing rolling and hopefully it'll make things better is that somewhat so, accurate
2: so i do remember um so the way ACFACMA works, we should describe this. The way ACFACMA or the Stripe Bass Act works, the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission adopts a management plan that will. it might set, uh, it sets an overall quota, and then it will allocate quota by state. So different states get a different amount of fish to catch. And then the states themselves will decide how much the wreck guys get, how much the commercial guys get, and they decide how to enforce it in their state. and um, Sometimes there might be bag limits, there might be length limits. There's all different types of ways of enforcing, but there's the plan sets out how much can be caught and how much each state can catch. What are the allocations? The way ACFACMA and the striped Bass Act work, if a state is not complying with their, if they're letting harvest exceed their quota, if they're not complying with the management plan, the commission... And the states and the commission can basically find that state out of compliance, and they basically they take a vote. They say, um, let's Massachusetts. Uh, somebody, some state makes a motion, and they, they vote on a state, and they say this state is not compliance. And then the federal government, under Act FACMA and under the Striped Bass Act, the federal government has the authority to shut down the fishery in that state because before ACFACMA and before the Strike Pass Act, you could say, oh, well, this state isn't playing by the rules, but there was no, the other states didn't have any mechanism for enforcing the rules in the state that was not playing by the rules. So so ACFACMA, does that make sense what I'm saying? No,
0: here And I'm gonna, if you don't mind, Gene, I'm just gonna drill down like one more layer on that.
2: Sure.
0: So in, in the previous administration, so, OK, let's so, we'll
2: get to that in a second. You're going to talk about what happened with Secretary Ross, right?
0: That is correct.
2: Yeah, let's get to that in a second. But so let me just yes, back ma'am. up. So I'm listening.
0: Yeah. You keep going. Yeah. I'm going to be quiet.
2: So, so under Act FACMA, under the Strike Bass Act, if the states all get together and they vote, and this is a big deal, right? It's the big deal for the states to all get together and say, hey, Pennsylvania, or hey, New Jersey, or hey, Maryland you're not playing by the rules, we find you out of compliance, and we are gonna now recommend to the Secretary of Interior and Commerce in the case of Striped Bass, or just to the Secretary of Commerce in the case of the other fisheries under facma. we're gonna tell them that we want you, we want them to shut you down because you're not playing by the rules." That was a big deal. At the time it was a big deal and it was a big deal that the states asked for it because think about it, state management of fish and wildlife is a, it's sort of a, it's a thing, right? It is, it is, I'm not, I can't think of the right, I'm not, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, but the state authority to manage its fish and wildlife is a big deal. And for the states themselves to say, we're gonna, cede some of that authority to the federal government and give the federal government the, uh, some power to shut a state down, that's a big deal. And so at the time when we passed that legislation, I think we didn't really realize, you know, or we did realize, but I think a lot of people that weren't necessarily familiar with the issues didn't realize this was a big deal. The states were ceding their authority to the federal government to say, in, in, ex, in extreme cases, you're shut down. So getting back to your question about what states where we had challenges in the past, I would say in the 1990s, I remember, I do remember the Striped Bass Act authority being used to shut down the state of New Jersey's striped bass fishery because they were not in compliance. So that's just one example. Um, that's what I remember. But um, that is an example of when the federal government had to step, down, step in and shut down the fishery. It's happened in other states, but that's the one I remember from the 90s. So, Gene, so when
0: I was, uh, yeah. when I was a, a much younger man, a kid, <laughs> I, was, I was sitting at our, our lovely house in Tennessee, and my mom and dad walked in my room, and they said, hey, your daddy just got transferred. He's going to be, mo- be working in New York City.
1: New York we're move, City.
0: We're moving to Connecticut or New, or New Jersey, one, one or the other. We got to go pick out a house. We're getting on a plane. We're going to pick out a house. And I was like, what in the ever-living shit just happened to my life? And I, I had to live in New Jersey for a while. And I can tell you, beyond, I mean, I made, I made a couple wonderful friends, I, you know, all that kind of stuff, but you could not get me back there. Well, for a billion dollars. The first day I showed up in high school, I was like, "Harry, where do y'all hunt and fish?" And they're like, "Moose, Rocco, kill him." You know, I mean, I you couldn't you couldn't have put a, a, someone in a crazier place. So, you know, maybe maybe I just have uh, PTSD from uh, New Jersey when uh, I was 14 years old. But you know, it comes as no surprise to me after living there for a while that okay. they're the problem children. <laughs>
2: Well, all right. I grew up in New York, but I I do not have um, a similar grudge against New Jersey. I I don't. Um, I have a lot of good friends from New Jersey, and in fact, my you know my my favorite uh, musician is from New Jersey. So I really can't hold anything. You know, I can't really hold anything against New Jersey because it, well, it produced I'm like Bruce a, Springsteen, okay? So Gene. like Bruce Springsteen is from New Jersey, so I'll never hold a grudge.
0: Listen, I'm some <laughs> kind of sadist because I married a girl. I married an Italian girl from Jersey.
2: Well, okay. so there you go. So I have like, some good have, Italian friends from New Jersey. So I have a Jersey, I have a yes.
0: sadistic streak <laughs> a mile wide, apparently. So
2: I got let's let's get back to it. Yeah, I yeah, got yeah, nothing yeah. against yeah, yeah, yeah. New Jersey. So
0: here's the here's the thing, okay? So now we have a working knowledge of how ACFACMA came to be, how the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission got the power to manage fisheries. And I think the intention was all good. You know, the intention was to bring these fish back, to, to, to manage for sustainability, you know, have opportunities for all the sectors And have us be able to do the things that we either depend on to put a roof over our heads and our families' heads. Or to do the thing that we love. And I guess my next question to you would be, how in the ever-loving hell did we get to where we are today? Because the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission has recovered one stock, striped bass in their history, since 1943 because it was originally brought, you know, into play to feed Americans during World War II. That was the original intent. And how how in the world can you have that level of success where you recovered the most iconic fish, the most economically important fish on the East Coast and then you let it go to hell in a handbasket. And you don't want to you don't want it to recover and you don't follow your own rules. We have multiple other species just languishing in overfished limbo. My my son, you brought up weak fish. My son is 11. He has never seen a live weak fish in his life. And suffice it to say, he probably fishes more than most 11-year-old children. He wrote me a Father's Day card, Gene, this past weekend. I will not make the listeners suffer through me reading it, but I actually took a picture and sent it to Willie, and it was actually pretty damn touching. And he had drawn all these pictures of fish on it, and you know what wasn't on it? Stripe bass, weak fish, croaker, spot. Because he doesn't catch as many of those as the other species that he catches with me. And while it was very touching, and I'll probably be buried with that Father's Day card on my chest because it meant so much to me. It was also horrifying to think about how my son is probably an example for countless other children out there who are missing these opportunities to experience the fisheries that I experienced. And they're gone, they are gone. So what the heck happened to the commission Gene? in your opinion, how in the world did we get here?
2: So first I would like to say that I'm extremely impressed that an 11 year old knows how to draw pictures of striped bass, croaker, weak fish, spot, uh, you name the fish, though. In that, in this case, he didn't draw those fish because um, he doesn't catch them because they don't. There's not enough of them. Um, and so, I'm just impressed that an 11 year old can do that. First of all, thank you. <laughs> but uh, going back to your very important question, I think at the time when we passed this law, as you said, the intentions. For, by everybody were good and everybody assumed, I believe, that the commission would adopt plans that sustainably manage the fisheries, that at least set sustainable targets, sustainable quotas. Uh, so we we that the commission would do its job. And then that when states were out of compliance that the commission would find those states out of compliance. So I think everyone believed that the fundamental principles and the law were there and that the states and the commission would then do their jobs. But I feel like what you're telling me is they're not doing their jobs. And in the rare cases where they are doing their job, for instance, when the commission a couple of years ago, and you started to allude to this earlier, a few years ago, the commission did find the state of New Jersey out of compliance for, I believe it was Flounder, Summer Flounder. Is that correct? Thank you. The, the commission did go as far as to find the state of New Jersey out of compliance for this, for Summer Flounder. And they sent their recommendation to shut down the fishery to the Secretary of Commerce. And the Secretary of Commerce at the, at the time, Secretary Ross, uh decided to disagree with the recommendation of the commission and did not shut down the fishery that was unprecedented and that I think it was, was the
0: first time in 80 something years gene if i'm not i think it was 82 years that they had first time that the secretary of commerce disagreed with uh noah because it, well, it, went through, it went through National Marine Fisheries Service because they have a seat on the commission as well. I mean, it was just a part of their recommendation, if I'm not mistaken. That's
2: right. That's right. And remember, ACFACMA, and I just found um, the history that showed me the law. ACFACMA did become law not in 1994, but in December of 1993. So since 1993, the Secretary has had the authority to shut down fisheries other than striped bass. Striped bass has been since the 80s it was the first time that the secretary had not agreed with a recommendation of the commission and as we discussed it's already a big deal for the commission for all the states in the commission to vote to basically punish one of their own and shut their fishery down so they already had, they had taken that step and they had sent that recommendation to the commission or to the secretary and the secretary made an unprecedented interpretation of the law which I would say when the law was written it was not the intent. It was never the intent that the secretary would be able to disagree with the commission um, and said, "Oh no, I don't think that New Jersey's out of compliance, and we're not going to shut them down." So, when you say what happened? One thing that's happened obviously is when we wrote that law, we did not anticipate a situation where the secretary would substitute his or her own judgment for the judgment of the commission. So I think that's something as you start to think about if we were gonna make changes in the law, what would we look at? And that would be one of them. And I know you've had Charlie, you've probably had Charlie Whitick on the show before and he can talk about this um, you know, from a legal perspective uh, very well, but that would be one thing that you would you know we would want to look at is how you change the law to address the fact that the secretary shouldn't be able to substitute his or her his or her own judgment for uh, that of the commission.
0: Now Jean, I, I think particularly we're we're in a so you bring up a great point. So that's point number 1. So we're in a safe place right now because we have secretary Raimondo who actually understands fisheries now she has a um, she has an enormous responsibility as secretary of commerce i think it's the it's the biggest wing of the she has more employees more more aspects to her job than any of us could probably even contemplate and a day or two ago we had janet Coit as new aa for noah okay and i would just we we kind of gave when it when she, when she was director coit director of the environment for Rhode Island as as secretary Raymondo was the governor of Rhode Island at the time back two years ago year and a half ago we had an issue uh, where Uh, Addendum 6 for striped bass. Conservation equivalency. Rhode Island wanted to do a sector separation and allow charter for hire to kill big fish. Which we did not want. We wanted everyone to be treated the same. We wanted coastal regulations. And it was going through the system. It passed at a state level. Uh, Rhode Island Marine Fisheries Council, it passed where private wreck anglers would have a different slot limit than charter for hire. And Director Coit, at the time Director Coit, gave this statement. Given that striped bass stock is overfished and experiencing overfishing, the factor that emerges as the most important in which my final decision rests is risk to the resource. Minimizing such risk is essential to maximizing the efficiency of our management response. Of the three options, I find the coastwide measure to be the most risk averse and best suited to quickly and effectively reduce fishing mortality and rebuild the striped bass stock. Other key factors I considered in making my decision included resource conservation, compliance, enforcement, and equity.
2: Hallelujah! Sanity has returned. So it's great news. It's great news that Janet has been named the administrator for fisheries. I agree, one hundred percent. But
0: but we don't know what's going to happen in four years, eight years, twelve years. So that comes back to your point: should one person wield this much power? Because you don't you know, the pendulum swings and we, right. we need right. consistency in our lives. Right. So that's the first point about, you know, well, holy mackerel. We didn't, you know, you, you don't have a crystal ball when you do this stuff. Your intentions were good with ACFACMA, but hindsight right. is 2020. And right. if this law was passed in December of 1993 and you can kind of see the road it's going down, this is one issue that we probably need to address. Now Gina are there any other issues that kind of come to mind? Yeah. You know if you could if you could wave a magic wand and say holy mackerel if I'd known this in 1993 I would have strongly suggested this. Yeah. in the legislation.
2: In, in fact we had, we debated one of these issues in 1993. I just wanna say as a side note, my grandfather used to fish for mackerel every day, every day of the summer in Maine. He was a big mackerel fisherman. He um, would go out every afternoon, take his little Boston whaler out um, and fish for mackerel. And uh, I personally cannot stand mackerel. I I, I detest it as a eating fish. I'm perfectly happy for anyone that wants to go catch it, but I personally do not wanna eat mackerel. And my grandfather would fish for that mackerel every day. And uh, you know it could have been something else, but no, it had to be mackerel. Anyway.
1: Gene, um... this, this is me doing an aside now. You don't know what it means to not like mackerel until you work in a bait shop as a high schooler and have a freezer with uh, 15, 25 pound flats of mackerel that breaks and you don't find out about it for three weeks and you're the one to clean it out. So I just wanted to put that out there.
2: Why mackerel? I just don't understand. And Annie used to. Oh, and you know what else he liked to fish for? Bluefish. He loved bluefish, man. And that's another one that's very, very um, fishy, if you will. He used to have a little smoker, a little one of these little chief smokers, um, and he he had it in his garage, and he would smoke bluefish for us. That was like that was a big. That was one of our things we used to uh, have as our appetizer at holiday meals was smoked bluefish that my grandpa had smoked for us. Um, anyway, going back to the topic at hand, I just want to quickly say some folks might not know that Janet, in fact, I we worked together in Congress uh, a long time ago, uh, probably during the passage of ECFACMA. And at the time, she worked for Senator Chafee from Rhode Island, and so she herself has a long history and commitment to the conserv- uh, you know conservation of our fishery resources. so um, I think for some people that don't know her they might think where like where did this come from? but in fact, she's got a long uh, history on these issues and is definitely, as Tony just pointed out, committed to the conservation and sustainability of the resources for the long term. so that's really exciting from that perspective. It's also just really exciting for me because I know her and I'd I love to see her um, doing such great work. So um, it's very exciting. But one of the other things that we did debate and that came up during the passage of Ekvakma was whether or not um, the, and I don't want to get too wonky here, but whether or not the um, the national standards that exist in the Magnuson Act for how fisheries should be managed should also be put into ACFACMA so that the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission would have guideposts for how they needed to manage fisheries so that when they wrote management plans, they were um, preventing overfishing, they were ending overfishing if it was occurring, they were rebuilding stocks. These are all things that um, exist in the Magnuson Act, requirements that exist in the MSA. The Magnuson-Stevens Act is uh, often referred to as the MSA. These are requirements that exist in Magnuson that at the time uh, we debated whether or not to add them to ACFACMA and they ultimately weren't added. And so I think now, again, with Tony's 2020 hindsight, we think about whether or not We some of those standards should be added to the law to ensure that the plans that the commission is writing actually are required to prevent overfishing are required to rebuild overfish stocks, because what we're seeing now is that that's not happening, because as you described, I I don't know how many of these stocks are overfished at this point, but it's.
0: Well, Gene. Gene, I don't know if you, like, I think Willie and I have mentioned this to you when we've had, like, little our little phone or Zoom meetings or whatever. But, you know, the, the last benchmark stock assessment that came out for Stripe bass is 2017 data. It was adopted in 2018. So we knew that they were 25% below the threshold in 2018. All sorts of management triggers are tripped. As God is my witness, there is not an official rebuilding plan in place. So I mean, right. this is not this is not frigging so, Jonah crab.
2: Four this years is later. Bass. Four years yeah. later. Yeah, and right, it's
0: be two years. Yeah,
2: right. And under the Magnuson Act, there would be a requirement that that over that re- that rebuilding plan be written within two years, and then if it's not the secretary has to step in. So obviously, you know, whether or not you would give that authority in this case is something that people would have to talk about. But the question is, what would be, so number one, you would want to require a rebuilding plan by a time certain, but then two, you would want to have a mechanism for enforcing that requirement. So what that looks like would need to be talked about, but how do you you ensure that the commission is uh, adopting the rebuilding plans that are needed to as you said, <laughs> rebuild the stock that is is still talked about as the success story, Stripe Bass, despite the fact that it is now where it is.
1: And to your point, Gene, you know you had talked about MSA and you know how Acfacma was potentially going to include those national standards, and I think it's important to remember that. You know, the Magnuson-Stevens Act is, you know, wasn't the Magnuson-Stevens Act, it was the Magnuson Act in 1993. We've had two reauthorizations since then in 1996 and 2006, adding more national standards, you know, thinking about habitat and best available science and annual catch limits. You know, a lot has changed on the federal level too. And it makes sense, you know, as we learn more, as we evolve as, as, as scientists and managers, it only makes sense to kind of provide those updates, right?
2: That's actually a really good point. In 1993, um, requiring rebuilding plans within two years, requiring that we end overfishing in a time certain, all of those things didn't even exist in the law. Those those provisions were adopted, as you mentioned, in 1996. I actually worked on that as well. Um, and those, hey, Jean,
0: how about it? Listen, how about, how about ACLs and paybacks? Right, and
2: then annual catch limits because the requirements for rebuilding and the requirements to end overfishing, after 10 years, they realized that some of those requirements, even those were not having the desired effect and stocks were not being rebuilt in a sustainable way. And Senator Ted Stevens from Alaska, and um, so it was a bipartisan effort in 2006. That's when ACLs, the requirement to establish annual catch limits were added into the law. So I think your point is really good, which is that as time goes by, as you get that 2020 hindsight, you realize that changes in the law are needed to address some of the things that you did not foresee. You know, so in 96, we thought, hey, this is great. This is going to solve all the problems. After 10 years, we realized it didn't. And so more changes were made. Now what you're talking about, here's a law in 1993, and we haven't changed it since. And we have now thirty years of hindsight to tell us that we need to make some changes.
0: Yeah, and I think Gene, you know, one of the one of the things is uh, one of the things that's happened, like in the last ten or twelve years, is that you know this you know this word as well as I do, flexibility. You know what happens when you have a body like the Commission and then you have the councils which have a really rigid i mean there's a lot of flexibility built into Magnuson but it's incredibly rigid compared to the compared to the, the power that the commission wields and the commission is becoming a repository for problem fish you know if there's a, if there's a contentious fish somehow the commission chips away and gets a little more authority for it and a little more authority and like Most recently, in the case of Cobia, the South Atlantic Council gave Cobia management over to the commission, now understanding most of the harvest takes place in state waters. That's a reasonable way to look at it. But, you know, there's a difference between looking at it as a scientist and looking at it as a person who depends on Cobia, because you just put Cobia... On the friggin' bullet train to overfish town USA. And I would be willing to bet anyone that Cobia in the next two or three years are gonna be overfished because of that flexibility where they're like, hey, you know, Stripe Bass Management Act says we gotta rebuild in 10 years. We got all these triggers, we have all these words on paper that we gotta, we don't really have to do that. Nobody can sue us. There's no there's no accountability. Like I mean, I'll give you an example, you know, through conservation equivalency. On paper, Maryland came out in like 2012ish cuz we got a stock assessment in 2012 that said if you keep going at this, you're going to overfish striped bass by 2017. And it was referred to as a green light fishery and the stock was still healthy and let's get after them, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of we knew this was coming. And we were supposed to take around like a 34, 33% reduction in harvest. And they ended up chipping and chipping and chipping away. And we had this really robust 2011-year class, and they said, "Oh, that's going to save everything. That 2011-year class, fourth best on record, it's going to save the world. So we don't have to take these reductions. So it ended up being a 25% reduction for the coast and a 20.5% reduction for the Chesapeake Bay. And people like me said, with this amount of fish, The Bay States are going to be up to their necks in juvenile striped bass with the fourth best year class on record. And they're going to harvest the ever-living hell out of these fish. And we started a a movement called My Limit is One. It's because we were allowed to kill two fish. And, you know, we tried to do, like, all of these things. And Maryland overfished by 212% between like 2013 right. and 2017, and there was absolutely no accountability for Maryland.
2: Right. So that's the word, and accountability. I, I so my, let me, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah,
0: Gene. Yeah. So what what we've heard from you, Gene, is that, you know, all the intentions were good. Right. Hind, 30 years ago, hindsight. Right. We look at where we are today. Right. We need to have some accountability. Right. And And when you look at legislation, you know, now law, that's 30 years old and we, we know we know where it's going, we know where it's been, we know what we You know what, what the challenges
2: need. are. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Where do we go so, from here?
2: Right. And I just want to say this like this to me is very similar to what was happening under Magnuson, which was the, when the Magnuson Act was written and it was amended several times before 1996. Um, the intentions were good. We gave the councils the authority. We thought we had the rules in place. but what we what we found was that the councils had unbelievable pressures on them to always allow as much fish as possible to be caught. because uh, let's face it, everybody wants to catch fish. I mean that's that's why we, that's why you're a fisherman or a fisherwoman. You want to be able to catch fish. And so there was always this political pressure and this uh, constituency pressure on the councils to let to let the maximum amount of fish be caught. And I feel like that's what's happening here with the, with the commission, which is that they have this authority to write management plans. They're supposed to be writing sustainable management plans. The states are supposed to be implementing them. But ultimately, there's pressure on the commission, and there's pressure on the states to always allow the maximum catch, even if that is not sustainable. And so what, what we did in the case of the Magnuson Act was we, we, we buffered the councils from that political pressure by putting in place mandates for when you had to end overfishing, for when you had to write a rebuilding plan, for what the deadline for a rebuilding plan should be so that in in a set you you separated them from those political pressures and you provided the sideboards as we say for what needed to happen the commission doesn't have those same sideboards in the law and so then when they get this pressure they're always going to be pushing and I, you know again I haven't you know been to a commission meeting in a very long time but they're not buffered or protected from the ever present pressure to allow the most fish to be caught and, and so and to
1: your to your point Gene, you know it's it, when we talk about the failures of the commission we're not talking about the staff we're talking about the you know the, the, the commissioners themselves and the votes and the direction in which that's gone right i mean i think that's an important distinction here
2: right the body itself is not it's not protected from those political pressures and so therefore it makes it that much more challenging to adopt and implement the the sustainable requirements that are needed to rebuild and sustain these fisheries for the long term. And you know, one thing we haven't even talked about and we don't have time I realize is the fact that climate change right now is is having a huge impact on the job that the commission has to do because stocks that they have managed now for 50, 60 years, those stocks are moving. They're moving north and black sea bass is the one that everyone always talks about, but it's not the only one. But they're moving north because waters are warming and they're looking for cooler waters. So in addition to having to think about how they're gonna write management plans that are gonna actually rebuild and sustain these fisheries, they're also trying to figure out how do you do that when the fisheries are moving and the allocations that have been set for a lot of these fisheries were set before these stocks moved north. So Maine has like virtually no allocation of black sea bass, but now there's black sea bass showing up in Maine or up in New York or in Connecticut. And that's an, a complicating factor that we haven't even had a chance to talk about. And I we can't, you know, there's no time today, but that's just something that I think is making it even more challenging. and. All of these things need to be thought about as we, I think, as you look at how would you, um, re- update and refresh this law to give the commission and the states the tools they need to sustainably manage these fisheries.
0: The the one thing that really super resonated with me, is, the side rails. You know. Um, I just, there's, there's no guardrails and this is not a game. People's lives depend on this. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's just, it is critically, critically important. And if it's, if it's us, you know, so be it. Um, but this, this needs to be updated, you know, then we, we aren't worried about if our stock price is going to tick up a quarter of a point. you know and and so I can buy my third beach house. You know, mo- Most of us want our kids to be able to catch these fish and our grandkids. And like when you when you get a little long in the tooth like me, it's really something special to see you know, the younger generation walk away from their iPads and their their 24-hour-a-day assault on technology and kind of melt into the real world. And, like, I I don't know where I would be, you know, if if I didn't have fishing. uh, Might be a resident of a state penitentiary, most likely in New Jersey. Um, Willie would probably be a financial advisor or something. I don't know. But, I don't know which is know,
1: worse, but all good points.
0: Yeah. And and I mean I just I just think that I, I just think there's something really holy. About, hey, before
2: I worked on fisheries yeah. issues, I thought I wanted to work in the financial industry, just FYI, and I did it for a few years. And then I realized I cared more about the ocean and fisheries issues, and here I am.
1: It's hard to uh it's hard to kind of look away. You know, you're sitting there and you're like In the meantime, this stuff's all happening, you know, in the margins of your life. And you kind of really want to move toward that center. So it's definitely a a gratifying shift.
2: I could have bought three beach houses maybe if I'd stayed in the financial industry. Instead, I have none. But I You got air conditioning, though, Gene. I have air conditioning. You got AC. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Hey, man, when you do this stuff for long enough, you're grateful for the little things. Um, Well, you know, Gene, look, I, I mean, you know, we've we have gone over an hour and and I don't want to take up too much more of your time but I'll tell you what for me I think you're one of the most compelling guests that we've had I don't think that we could bring anyone on here who has more of of that in the trenches knowledge in history um you know because you lived it and you were there and and I'm not a Willie does this to me all the time. I'm going to pick on Willie for a minute before we close up. No, you know, I'll say something that. and he'll be like, and I'll hear his little keyboard going like in the background. And he's like, well, I Googled this. And and I'm like, well, I lived it. You know what I mean? Like I was doing that stuff when your mom was wiping your boot boop. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> give me a break. So, you know, like there's there's experience, you know, and that goes a long way and and i I just i don't i don't think we could have brought anyone on that kind of could have explained it better the whole situation than you um because you were right there sitting behind your desk on capitol hill trying to do what was best for the resource
2: yep and that's that is what we were trying to do and i will say people often roll their eyes when i start saying back in 1993 uh, you know, some people go crazy about it, but I do think it gives us the ability to say we've seen how we did it. We know why we did it. And now we have the, as you said, the hindsight to say, here's how we have to change it to make it better. And that yeah. is valuable.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Gene, like, I, you know, I think we're probably going to end up having you on here again because, um, you know, while hindsight's twenty twenty, my crystal ball's working overtime, and um, and all I can say is I think we owe it, the Guides Association, we owe it to our members, their children, their grandchildren, we owe it to fishermen up and down the coast, we owe it to people who support. The fishing industry by buying boats and motors and fishing rods out the yin yang. Ninety percent of me and Willie's conversations are are what stuff we just bought and how we're gonna be excited to use it the next time we can go fishing. And I think we owe it to everyone to kind of hit this issue head on because we're tired of fighting the skirmishes. And and I think if we can I think it's I think the time the time for change is coming. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you took the time to be on this with us and to tell everyone, you know, to share your vast knowledge of these issues. Super grateful. And, um, and, I, and you know, I think we're probably going to have you on here again because you, you have, we didn't even touch the tip of the iceberg of the stories that you have to tell. And I thoroughly enjoyed this time on the podcast with you. And I'm actually considering just kicking Willie off the podcast and having you be my co-host.
2: <laughs> well, I'm happy to come Gene back. I think Gene likes
0: that idea too. Yeah.
2: I'm happy to come back anytime. And um, I, yeah, ho- as ho- I said,
1: hostile, hostile, uh, hostile situation here, guys. I don't know how I no, feel about this, but I don't even want to say anything nice to you, Gene anymore because no, I feel don't a little worry. threatened, but no, you know, no. I, I, I will, I will echo Tony. I mean, Folks who know you, whether they, whether whether they admire you or they, uh, you know, as you said, they're they're folks on on the other side here. I think there's a huge amount of respect, obviously warranted through all the work you've done um, on these issues over the past, over, you know, over the past couple decades. And um, there's no substitute for that knowledge. Yes, Tony, I recognize that there's no substitute for experience. Just want to have that on record as well, and uh, you know, appreciate having you as a resource to really kind of let us know what went down and, and where we are kind of in that context
2: yeah we and love like you I Willie.
1: Said,
2: i i'm not, not threatening i Willie, i don't i don't have time to take your job don't worry but um <laughs> i will say i'm happy to come back anytime because i do these are the issues that i care about as we discussed and i wouldn't do it if i didn't care about it so i'm happy to come back and also as i mentioned in previous conversations i'm happy to help in any way I can.
0: You're a rock star, Gene, and we hope uh we hope our well we know our listeners learned a little bit from you. Very grateful. Thank you so much for your time and we'll see you back on in Kirsty real soon.